Hello, and welcome to Ground Control Parenting, a blog and now a podcast created for parents raising black and brown children. I'm the creator and your host, Carol Sutton Lewis. In this podcast series, I talk with some really interesting people about the job and the joy of parenting. Today, we're going to talk about a topic near and dear to my heart, traveling with children. And I'm really happy to have Cheryl Finley, an esteemed art historian and veteran traveling mom, joining us for this conversation. Cheryl is the inaugural director of the Atlanta University Center Art History and Curatorial Studies Collective and the Distinguished Visiting Professor in the Department of Art and Visual Culture at Spelman College. She comes to Atlanta from Cornell University, where she's an Associate Professor of Art History, currently on leave. Cheryl's also a visiting professor at the Visual Identities in Art and Design Research Center at the University of Johannesburg. She has a daughter, Nora, who is 14. Welcome to Ground Control Parenting, Cheryl. Thank you so much, Carol. It's great to be here with you. So glad to have you. So as we can tell from your impressive resume, you spend a good amount of time on the road. And I happen to know that you have traveled extensively with your daughter. So I'm eager to hear about your experience and get your advice. So let's get started. All right. I'm so happy to share. So first, let's get some background. I always like to ask parents how they grew up and, and it could inform your interest in travel. So tell me about where you grew up and how many siblings. I was uh, born in Philadelphia and I grew up in Silver Spring, Maryland, a suburb of Washington, D.C. I have uh, a sister, Lisa, and had a brother, Mark. Both of my siblings went to Spelman and Morehouse, respectively, as did my grandfather, who was a professor at Howard University when we were growing up. He was a zoologist, as they call it. And um, my mom, she was a computer scientist who worked um, at Federal City College and the University of Washington, D.C., UDC, for uh, four decades. My father was a dentist. And uh, when I was conceived, my parents were actually stationed in Europe. Uh, they were living in England, but my mom and dad also traveled uh, to Italy and to France. And, and so I feel like that might be something that is in me as someone who really, really loves to, um, to travel. That is a perfect segue into my next question. So is it safe to assume that your family traveled when you were growing up? We did, but it was mostly domestic. Mm -hmm. um, so we, I mean, some of my earliest memories of travel include going to places like Philadelphia, where my grandparents and my mom's side still live. We were always there for, you know, Christmas and Thanksgiving dinners. And I remember you know, as part of that kind of travel, the thing that, that was fun to pass the time by included on-the-road games like naming and pointing at different road signs um, or, you know, the colors of cars or the makes of cars or even listening to radio drama shows, um, which I guess are, are kind of like books on tape for today but on the AM radio. <laughs> and so, you know, sometimes we were so into a story, we would say, Mommy, please, please, can you just pull over for a second? <laughs> Let me just interrupt just one second on that. It's funny to think that people listening have no clue about AM radio and how it comes in and out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yes, there was a time when you'd get, I remember with the music, you'd get the, your favorite song and then it would start to fade because you were traveling out of the realm of the, of the signal. Yeah. So <laughs> I remember that well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing. It was either the song, you know, <laughs> so the Jackson five were playing and, you know, we'd have to stop and pull over. She would often um, 
accommodate us that way. And then, you know, we also, we did take long trips. We, you know, we traveled to Palatka, Florida, which is where my, my father on, on his side, um, there, there was family there. And I would have been, I want to say about six or six or seven mm-hmm. at that time. I want to take a step back and, and talk a little bit about the benefits of traveling when you're young. I mean, I, I come at this with a similar history. We lived in New York, but my father's family is in Texas. And every summer we would drive from New York City to San Antonio and back. And that was at a time when driving through the South was not the easiest or the safest for a black family. What kinds of things do you think that you got out of it? And, and why, why would you suggest to parents that wherever they go, that they try to travel with their kids? I think it's just being exposed to different people, you know, even if they're American, different cultures. And when we did that family travel, especially to the South, you mentioned going to, to San Antonio, to, to Texas. And when I think about having gone to whether it was Disney World or to, to Palatka, you know, we would pack up the car with food that we made that we, you know, that we froze or that we knew that we could eat along the way. And we, you know, we would stop and get gas. I mean, by the time I was eight, I'll never forget this. We traveled, um, I was in the third grade and the Wiz was out to go to New York to see the Wiz on Broadway. And that's a trip that I will never, ever forget. You know, the fun that we had traveling on the bus with my mom and her girlfriends and all of their daughters who were our friends. And then, you know, arriving in New York, I'd never been there before, you know, and then you can imagine what the theater district was mm-hmm. like, you know, in 19, what was it, 73? Okay. So what the theater, so there were certain things that I saw that I had never seen before and had to ask yes, about. Wait, so, let me just um, interrupt to say for those of you as a native New Yorker who were not around in 1970s, the theater district was so much less tourist and people friendly than it is now. There was a lot of peep shows. And so, yeah, you would see a lot if you were walking around Times Square at those, those years. Things like prostitution. Mm-hmm. It was an illicit illicit sex trade that was that was pretty visible you oh, know yeah. they, I mean and, and just as a young person I just I, I there were certain things I and you know we grew up in Silver Spring it was the suburbs but you know we were in and out of town all the time but still it was just something that we hadn't seen so the exposure that you get just on trips like that in the car with your family traveling opens up your children's worlds I mean even Yes, taking them to Times Square and having them see things like prostitution. I mean, it's the world and at least let them see it and ask you questions about it because you're all seeing it together. So, so let's right. fast forward to your, your daughter and, and how soon after she was born did you start traveling with her? The first trip that I took with her was to Princeton University and I think I, that Nora was not even a month old. Mm. I think that she may have been three weeks old or maybe just approaching a month old. So, um, so that was the first trip. But you know, the next time we traveled in our first international travel was when she was two months old. So I had her passport early on and we traveled to Kingston, Jamaica to visit with one of her godmothers who was there. And we went to museums, um, which is something I do all the time in my profession. Our next trip was uh, another international travel. We were invited to a wedding, and this wedding took place in Cairo. Mm. 
And that was when she was three months old. And um, it was a, you know, formal, formal wedding. I, I had actually, you know, another baby carrier or snuggly made out of black satin fabric to go with my black satin dress for this formal wedding. And I think I'm pretty sure I was the only one there with a three month old. And of course, I also had to breastfeed her mm-hmm. there. And so this satin carrier that I had for her, apparently, I didn't know this, but it wasn't, the color wasn't set on it. So at a certain point, and it, what I loved about it is like she could kind of like dip in and breastfeed and, and I wasn't exposed and she was all taken care of. But when she popped out this one time, she had like a black mustache, <laughs> like all around her mouth because the color ran. The other thing I would say too, just about traveling again with super small children. Again, she was just three months old, knowing about some of the, the ways in which you might think about traveling to a foreign country and what's acceptable. What's the norm for breastfeeding, right? So nowadays, you know, you can go to the airport. This place you can go breastfeed and. All these places, um, you know, a lot of lovely accommodations for, for, you know, young mothers. But I wasn't sure what it would be like, you know, in Egypt. So these stories bring up so many questions and points that I'd love to explore. Now, I know a lot of parents immediately think that having, particularly new parents, think that the baby with all of, all that a baby brings is an immediate sort of lockdown on travel for the foreseeable future. But I similarly believe that if you can move, if the, if you and the baby can go outside, <laughs> you can travel. But let's talk a little bit about some of the preparation that you have to make in order to travel with little ones. I mean, if you're breastfeeding, the, the, the key is to be prepared, to think ahead. There's lots of little things you can do to ease your concern about being caught in a situation where you, you don't have what you need for your child. Now, you are very fortunate because you said that your daughter never had any issues on airplanes. Is that correct? She wasn't impacted by the flight? She was not. Yeah. Well, I I often traveled with my three when they were young. And for the most part, I mean, if there's a spectrum, my children were not screaming at the top of their lungs, you know, with the change in pressure. But there were some times when they were not happy. And so when the baby's really little bottles, actually, or pacifiers, things that they suck on will alleviate the air pressure. So there's there's things if you're traveling on an airplane with a young baby, you just should prepare for in advance, bring pacifiers. If your child takes formula, bring formula because you can really reduce the amount of fretting that they'll do during the course of the plane travel. I've seen parents sort of hand out ear stoppers or, you know, apologize in advance, which I think is very sweet. At least it if you have a child that is prone to make a lot of noise, I mean, at the end of the day, there's nothing you can do about that. You can sort of alert the people around you so that perhaps they'll feel a little, they'll, they'll hesitate before they start complaining <laughs> when your child makes noise. And Cheryl, wouldn't you agree, even if you have to suffer, even if it's a tough ride because you're, you've got this little one, it's worth it because when you start exposing them so young, they actually learn to be better travelers. I know some parents say, I'm going to wait until I can make sure they won't want to squirm. But if you start them out really early and they understand how it works, if you're on a train, if you're on a bus, if you're in an airplane, you don't jump up and run down the aisle. Right. Yeah. And I was going to say, and you don't climb all over things that you're not supposed to, you know, like there's certain things that you do know you're used to, like you said, being strapped into a plane seat or you're, you're used to being around 
hundreds of other people mm-hmm. in a plane or in an airport or on a train. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think it's really, really important. And, and I, in preparation for our conversation, of course, I, I spoke with Nora too, just to ask her. And she, she agreed. She said for her that she's been exposed to so many things when she thinks about it now and she's in the ninth grade that many of her classmates haven't been exposed to. So that even if she's in a history class or a chemistry class, she can answer questions based on where we've been in mm-hmm, the world mm-hmm. and how we've traveled. Mm-hmm. And you were asking a question about like, well, what do you do to prepare? Yes, you know, bring formula if you think you need that. Bring clothing that's appropriate, whether it's to, again, for super young children or as in babies, breastfeeding, uh, something to cover yourself if you need to do that. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to the show. As I said, I traveled a lot when I was young, and I was insistent that our kids just go. They're seven years apart from the, the oldest to the youngest. So as a result, the baby went a lot when he was so young that he hardly remembers anything. And some people would say, why would I travel with a two-month-old or a four-month-old? They're not going to remember. And, and I will agree that there is something to that, but I honestly think it's the exposure Even if they're not going to remember it, except if you show them pictures, it's important exposure. It makes a child feel really good to know that they've been a place before or they were, they have experienced something. And then if they happen to be able to go back at some point, you can say to them, you saw this when you were really little and now you're seeing it again. I I can't impress enough among parents. And, and yes, we're talking about international travel and that takes resources. And particularly these days, it's it's not, it certainly wouldn't be top of list, but you can use these travel concepts to go anywhere. I mean, you could, I would encourage you all who are hesitant to take a, even a local trip with your little ones because you think it's it's not worth it. They're not going to remember. It's It's definitely worth it. It helps you as a parent because you get to experience this new experience with your children and they will, regardless of what age they are, be delighted by things on the trip. And and there's a great opportunity to be together as a family, experience things together. And so even if you're not even contemplating a plane ride, even if it's a, a bus ride or a train ride, I would encourage you to take it. But as Cheryl and I have discussed, there are things you need to be prepared for Back to the plane ride for just a minute. I learned something early with with my oldest. That's a really a weird tip, but I will share it because it could be useful. I remember a trip. It was a relatively short flight, but it was a very turbulent flight, and my oldest got sick. But you know, baby sick is kind of all over the place and projectile, and not to go into too much gory detail, but it is like the worst thing that anybody on an airplane would want to, particularly sitting around the child, would want to experience, and. The wonderful flight attendants came running with packages of coffee grinds, and they were breaking all these packages of coffee grinds around us. In fact, coffee is very aromatic, and it immediately took the smell away. And so, you know, the smell of sick is what really upsets people. So (laughs) if you happen to have a child that is prone (laughs) to getting sick, carry a package of coffee grounds, ground up coffee in those those bags. It's amazing. And I've, I've actually... I started doing that afterwards because you never know when you're going to need it. So, Cheryl, I want to go back to sort of the kinds of things when your daughter was really young, when she was older than an infant, but the kinds of things you would do. You you mentioned when you were growing up, being in the car and playing car games. That was a huge part of my childhood and one with my kids. Can you remember some of the things that you did growing up or that you did with your daughter on the road to kind of occupy yourselves when there was nothing to see out the window or... 
how did you guys spend time and how did you help your daughter spend time in the many hours of travel that aren't exciting? So when she was younger, what we ended up doing, especially for long trips, we, we listened to books on tape ah. um, or, you know, books on, I guess, CD or mm-hmm. I guess now you just, you know, you get them on your phone and you loop it into the, to the, to the speakers in the car. But we would always, we had stories and she told me, she said, the Greek myths, we listened to the Greek myths. She still remembers all of Greek mythology. Mm. We had other stories that we would listen to or other children themed um, music mm. that we would listen to in, in the car. So that's one of the things we did in the car. And then I would say um, in other, other kinds of trips, it's having books to read together. We also, in terms of preparation, I would make sure that she understands where we're going. So we get at a map, we would look at a globe, I would show her where we're going, what the distance is, what it means to travel that distance and the effect that it has on on time, Mm. because there's going to be a time change, right? Mm -hmm. So to understand you're going to get there, we're going to travel at night. And when we arrive in Paris, or when we arrive, you know, in London, it's going to be the morning time, and you're going to be tired. But what we're going to do is that we're going to stay up as long as we can to be able to fight off that jet lag. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you, you had a question for me is, you know, well, do you travel for work or do you travel for pleasure? And my answer is that frequently a lot of my travel is related to my work as an art historian, conducting research for books or lectures, going to see exhibitions, which is also a part of conducting research, interviewing artists, participating in in conferences in the United States and globally organizing those conferences as well. I also, you know, I I love my work. I'm I'm passionate about my work and I'm passionate about sharing and exposing the world to the beauty of Black art and Black artists and Black art history. And um, I think that's something that my daughter should be a part of as well. I'm a single parent, so I've always traveled with her. I often didn't have the option. Oh, let me just leave her home with the nanny. That that didn't really happen frequently for me. And so um, so sometimes I would travel with her as a younger person with a babysitter. So, you know, sometimes even though I might be traveling for work, there's a way that I can also kind of build into our itinerary, something that's going to be appealing to my child because she's not going to sit through, you know, an academic conference for eight hours listening to talks. <laughs> And I would also say, just again, I can't reiterate enough, staying with friends. I had friends in a lot of the places that we traveled to when she was young where I could stay with them, and and that made it affordable for me. Or even if I were staying in a hotel for business travel, my friends who were there would come to help me during the day while I had to work. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, you know, just having that global network, that global family network is really, really important. Yeah, no, it is. But for those of us who don't yet have that global network, there are hotels that you can research ahead of time that are kid-friendly. They are child-friendly. There are some that are child-friendlier, particularly in the United States. If you're going to a place that, that you don't know anyone and you need to stay in a hotel, you can ask ahead of time what kind of accommodations they make for children. Can I just add one more thing about hotels? I, I just wanted to say, when I think about child-friendly and family-friendly hotels. Some of the hotels that are, I think there's like the Marriott Courtyard, Mm -hmm. Hampton Inn, places like this, at least in the United States, often have things like swimming pools, 
mm-hmm. inside that you might not even be aware of. And so when I asked Nora, like, what's, you know, what type of vacation does she like? You know, she always loves to travel to Europe or to Africa, but, you know, and of course, in and around the United States, but, you know, well, she said to me, well, going to the beach is a great thing too, of course. You know, mm-hmm. we like to have sun and, and be in the water and have some fun. But short of that, if we're in a hotel like that, sometimes they have swimming pools that are inside or outside. And they're also at a price point that they're really affordable for even larger families. They also have rooms typically that have two double beds in them instead of just one king size bed. They also have a free breakfast in the morning time. Mm -hmm. And I Mm -hmm. think that's a great way to get your day started where you don't have to worry, where am I going to have breakfast? Is there breakfast in the hotel? How Mm -hmm. much is it going to be? Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of thing. Right. And then, you know, in addition to that, in Europe, and also, I think in some places that I've traveled to um, on the continent, your hotel will uh, typically come with breakfast included. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so what I always do is I, I just say to her, I'm like, look, this is breakfast and lunch. So you need to eat up, <laughs> eat up. you know, <laughs> yeah, don't, don't act like you just want to have a little bit of this or a little bit of that. You can't pick and pick and pick. You just, you know, really have a good hearty breakfast and then We'll have either a late lunch or maybe an early dinner. So that's a nice way to kind of get the energy that you need to get the day started. Yeah, no, that, that's great. That's really great advice. So it does take a little extra planning, but it's worth it. It does. Yeah, it, it, it takes extra planning. We're not, we're not trying to suggest that it's sort of, oh, yes, take your, take your little child and <laughs> it's just like you're traveling on your own. It isn't. But it's in not. some instances... It's so much more fun because you're giving this little one experiences that will, even if it not may not seem so at the very moment, will seep into their subconscious. And as you were saying, Cheryl, your daughter remembers Greek myths from listening to the tape. By the way, I wanted to get back to the things to do in the car or in the train. I'm very impressed with books on tape. That is a great suggestion. Never occurred to us. <laughs> we were busy playing look out the window games. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and we would have, I mean, we have so many of, I love to drive and I love long drives. And so I'd pile all the kids in the back and we'd play everything from taking a letter of the alphabet and you have to find everything that you could see that starts, the first person to spot the thing that started with that letter would move the game forward. And, you know, you'd keep track of how many things you could spot. We played car colors, like who could see them? You can make up any game that's involved in looking out the window. You can play I Spy. And these games both help the time pass, but they also keep your little one's mind sharp. I mean, they're they're yeah, really... They're educational. They are. They are. They have to think about the alphabet. They have to think about what letters the things they're seeing start with. They're, these are fun opportunities to sneak in some learning when mm-hmm. when they're not looking or they're on the way to some. Right. And, and they don't realize that they're learning how to spell or that they're mm-hmm. learning, you know, the names of cities or states. And I would say just, you know, bringing something, making sure that they have something that is not a screen. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that we're all so attached to our, our devices today, but I I just think it's it's really important to be able to live in the moment, to be able to look people, you know, directly in the eye, to be able to engage them. Uh, Nora was a very early talker and she, you know, has this ability as a young person of 14 going on 15 years old to to hold a conversation with people her own age, with young children. She's great with smaller children but also with adults. And I think that that's part of 
her exposure mm-hmm. through the places that we've gone to, where we, where we've traveled, how much is she involved in, in planning that type of trip? And, and for, well, for the business, of course, she's definitely not, you know, really involved in that, but for, for pleasure, even if she's coming with me and I'm working, I always try to take into consideration what her interests are. And I, one other thing I would say too, it's important too, if you're going to travel internationally to always make sure that you and your family members have uh, active passports with at least six months on them. Mm-hmm. And that's really, really important to always keep your passport active because you never know when you're going to need it. Right. No, that's absolutely true. And that six months ahead is really important because people can get tripped mm-hmm. up if they see that it's not expired. They think that's fine, but you really need for it to not expire within the next six months. You know, several things you said, I just want to emphasize when you are in a place, it can be local, national or international Museums are a great place to go. Historical museums can help you learn about the place. Art museums can, I'm a huge fan of taking your children to art museums wherever they are, but they can expose them to all sorts of things. And then you mentioned galleries. Galleries are free and you can actually see artists in galleries. And, and it's, it's a lot of fun to go to a place where you don't know, a place you're not familiar with, and you can sort of go into a local gallery and see perhaps it's a local artist or it's an international artist. So you have to do a little prep to sort of know where they are, but lots of interesting and not particularly expensive museum visits. The one other thing, though, I want to say about museums is when you're traveling with children, you do, and you said this earlier, you have to take into account what they want to do. They're, you can't just sort of drag them along the things that you would prefer to do. And so for, for me, what that brings to mind is the number of places in which I have visited the town's wax museum. I have been in more wax museums. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be my children decided that wherever we went, if there was a wax museum, we had to go and visit it. And so <laughs> I have to say, wax museums were not if anything that I had ever had any interest in doing. <laughs> so I've seen more wax museums than I ever would want to. But I say that to say that you might have to be prepared to do some things that you wouldn't do on a trip, <laughs> but it is worth it because then your children feel like they're really a part of it. They're not just being dragged along. They're being the navigator. They're guiding the family to something that they might not have done otherwise. And and you never know. I mean, I'll have to say, even though I'm not a huge wax museum fan, there were some interesting figures. (laughs) (laughs) And then it's really important to me for her to be exposed to not just, you know, the people and the culture, wherever we are, but also the food. Mm-hmm. We love to cook. We love to cook together. So another activity for your children or your whole family, you don't have to be a kid, but to, you know, to be able to learn how to cook something. I think that's, mm-hmm. that's a really, really great gift. One thing I would say you were talking about museums, you know, whether they're art museums or, you know, sort of specific discipline, history museums, wax museums, there are some countries and, you know, American states as well, where museums have either free days. So they're open free to the public on certain days. Like sometimes it's like a first Fridays or a first Sundays. Um, I know in some of the museums in New York or in some countries I know are free of charge to, to the public. So, so things like that, I think are really important to look, look out for because you don't always have to pay a whole lot of money to have a good experience. You can actually go into many of these institutions and not have to pay mm-hmm. anything. I also, you know, when we travel, I do my very best to try to stay places where we can walk. Mm-hmm. I love to walk. Um, I think that's a really great way to get to know a city 
or a country or a place, um, you know, getting to know the neighborhood that you might be staying in and not always having to rely upon a taxi or public transport's great. That That's always, I also like to take the bus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's very true. Experiencing public transportation in a foreign place, even in a place not where you live, it could be domestic or international, it's just fun. The whole thing is just fun. New and different is fun. And you can spend time with your kids just talking about how different it is. So Cheryl, this has really, really been good and really helpful. I'm hopeful that parents out there who were really hesitant to think about traveling with their children, thinking they might the kids might be uncooperative or uninterested, I hope that we've given you enough of food for thought so that you can get out there on the road with your kids. And for those parents who are eager to travel but are looking for ways to make it sort of as little hassle as possible, hopefully you've gotten something out of this as well. So let's play the... GCP Lightning Round, what is your favorite poem or saying? My favorite saying is, do what you want to do, when you want to do it, where you want to do it. That's my favorite saying. That is great. Yes. That's a great one. And, and, and I'll, I'll say my favorite poem, too, is, is a Langston Hughes poem, The Negro Speaks of Rivers. Mm, yes. You would be pleased to know that Langston Hughes is a favorite amongst people who have answered this question. And and that is a wonderful poem. Your favorite two children's books, and they can be books you grew up with or books that Nora loved, or both. Oh, well, A Snowy Day, um, mm-hmm. that's a book that I grew up with and also a book that um, that we loved reading to one another. And, and just the illustrations are so beautiful. Oh, they are. And then another one that we loved uh, is uh, is called Caps for Sale. I remember Caps for Sale. Oh, that was a great book. Those are great. So let me ask you the final one is a moment, maybe a moment on the road when you knew you'd nailed it as a mom. What was a good mom moment for you in your travels with Nora? Um, Oh, this was a great one. We traveled to Maui when she was seven years old. And this is a trip that I had just booked for the two of us. Next thing you know, my sister's like, okay, well, I'm going to join you. And I'm bringing my children for my niece's birthday that year. And for Nora, too. I took the two of them to learn how to surf. Oh, fun. And it was fantastic. And it was amazing. And Nora can swim. I mean, she's you know been able to swim since she was a very small child. So could Camille. But they were able to get up, I mean, so quickly on those surfboards. And, and that was, you know, that was amazing. So, yeah, so learning, you know, having those kinds of new experiences, whether it's surfing or skiing, that was that was a really special moment. Yeah, no, that, that is great, great. And you nailed it as a mom by making that opportunity available for her. So, yeah, I get that. That's great. So those are thank great you. answers, Cheryl. I thank you so much for this conversation. And uh, for being with me. So I know everybody listening is really going to be happy to get all this information. I thank you so much for sharing it. Thank you so much, Carol, for the kind invitation. And it was my pleasure. Great. And I'm so happy, happy that you have been so thoughtful about ground control parenting and just the effect that you're having on our families in this country and globally. It's, It's so important, especially, especially today. Thank you. Thank you. I hope everyone listening enjoyed this conversation and that you'll come back for more. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and tell your friends. 
For more parenting info and advice, please check out the Ground Control Parenting blog at groundcontrolparenting.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Ground Control Parenting and on LinkedIn under Carol Sutton Lewis. The Ground Control Parenting with Carol Sutton Lewis podcast is a part of the Seneca Women Podcast Network in partnership with iHeartMedia. Until the next time, take care and thanks for listening.